0: episode 5 of Long Hair Do Care. I'm your host, Georgie Corkery. Pronouns she, her, hers. Also happy to go by they, them, theirs. And I do have long hair and I care a lot, which is why I named the podcast Long Hair Do Care. I care about all things that fall under the broad yet niche umbrella of queer intersectional ecofeminism. And today's topic is going to be bees, hives, and homebrewing. To help me discuss the topic is my first guest, who I'm so excited to have on, because he's the one who wrote the intro music. It's AJ Van Zieden. AJ works with me at Roots Charter High School. We are co-workers turned friends. He also homebrews mead and has beehives, I believe, at his mom's house and the high school that we work at. Welcome, AJ. (laughs)
1: Hello. Yes. Um, I'm AJ. Uh, He, him, pronouns.
0: Well, I'm excited to have you on. And um before we jump into our topic uh we're gonna talk about. The cats, wildlife, and Teslas we saw this week. Um, I don't know if you count Teslas. I don't think you do. I've
1: started now (laughs) (laughs)
0: because you've seen me count all the Teslas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, I do. With friends in the car, I will just stop a conversation Mm -hmm. to count audibly.
1: I'm noticing a lot more of the the Model Threes now. I think is that the are those the the, kind of the bigger ones? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: I think they're less expensive. I did look it up at some point, and I was like, I'm gonna know which models Mm -hmm. are which. Which, turns out I'm still a really bad car person. I can just recognize right. Teslas. <laughs> it's like, oh, Simple. there's one. Yeah. I like the smaller ones that are very sleek. Yeah. And then yeah. the matte, instead mm. of the glossy, yeah. the matte. Yeah. I've never really seen that in a car. I so I like those. I guess we'll jump into the Teslas. This <laughs> week, I saw 31 and six halves, which is lower than last week, and that's because I went camping. And uh, you don't really see a lot of Teslas when you're camping. And specifically, I went on a river trip. Not a lot of Teslas on the river, but maybe one day that'll change, I don't know. For cats, I saw three cats. One, I was... Uh, on a run and then it came up to me and it had a little bell and it was really cute It didn't have a name tag And then I saw my friend Kimmy and Maggie's two cats Tina and Donovan. Donovan's kind of an asshole. He looks like he wants to be pet, and then he strikes you, but he's super cute. I wish that he loved me. And then I did see dogs on boats because I went on the river. I know they're not cats, but I saw dogs on boats. It for, so right. Yeah, I mean, you're on the river, and then you look over, and hopefully there's a really happy dog. <laughs> Sometimes there's a dog that just looks panicked. Right. Luckily, it was just on the daily stretch. For the most part, happy dogs. A few dogs wanted to jump ship and we did have a dog on our boat too which was fun and then for wildlife I saw one snake up in the foothills and it was really small and really cute and what about you any cats or wildlife
1: yeah I, there's a one cat that I see all the time actually just up on 12th here because I like you know I just go for my nightly walks but she, you know she's just kind of up the street here and
0: what color
1: she's like kind of a like a little Maybe is calico the word? Kind of like gray. And yeah. it got those different colors. I
0: think I know what cat you're talking So mm-hmm. just so you guys know, AJ and I are neighbors <laughs> currently. And I walk by his house all the time. Uh, and there are lots of cats in the yeah. neighborhood. And I think I know this yeah. calico cat. Does it have a, a collar on it?
1: Yes. Yeah, she kind of hangs out on the, just a couple houses down after you pass second. Yep. You go over that bike thing. I'm pretty sure that cat's name is Cookie. Cookie. Okay, yeah. It's either Cookie or Crumb. Out? Yeah, does she hang out on the sidewalk a lot? Yep. And, yeah, and yep. she just, like, demands Oh, she's attention. so cute.
0: Yeah. She, like, sees you, and she'll just start running. Yeah. She's like, meow, and you're like, yes! <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of those overly social cats, and I love mm-hmm. it. There's that cat, and then a cat, if you go further... Um, away from where mm-hmm. we live, there's another cat that looks almost exactly like him. Oh, really? And one of them's name is Cookie, and one mm-hmm. of them's name is Crumb. And I hope that so they know each happy. other. Yeah. Because yeah. Cookie Crumb, yeah, maybe they're just meant to siblings. be. And I hope they're just best friends and don't have more kittens, because we don't need more kittens okay. in this world. <laughs> A topic for another day. For conscious content consumption of the week, I wanted to share the Bechdel cast which is something that my old roommate, Molly, who is one of my favorite people in the world, shout out to Molly, also suggested that I listen to. And it quickly became my absolute favorite podcast. And I convinced AJ to listen to it. So I wanted to talk about that because, you know, AJ can have some input. Um, so the Bechtel cast is hosted by Caitlin Durante and Jamie Loftus. They're both hilarious. I think they're both comedians, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they're hilarious. It's a weekly podcast in which every episode, Jamie and Caitlin have a guest on most of the time. And uh, sometimes they're also comedians, which makes it even funnier. And they pick one movie to talk about. And they examine the portrayal of minority genders in that movie. They use the Bechdel test. As a launching off point for that discussion, the Bechdel test was invented by a queer cartoonist, Alison Bechdel. And the rules of the test are, one, that there are two women or two people of a minority gender in the film. They have to have names. They have to talk to each other for two lines of dialogue, which is not very much. It'd be like, hey, AJ, what's your favorite color?
1: Black?
0: That's two lines of dialogue right there. That's not a lot. And um, it can't be about a man. So technically what AJ and I did didn't pass because AJ's... I'm a man. AJ's a man. we <laughs> uh, really failed. And I did say AJ, and so we were talking about a man. So that's a super low bar, and they acknowledge that that's a low bar in the podcast. But I do like how they examine movies because even movies that I love that are problematic and that these two hosts also love they don't just shit on the movie they're like oh we love it so much but yeah that's really bad or um, they'll talk about how I think in Legally Blonde or what was another really good example of how it was a really good feminist movie for the time and it had a lot of forward-thinking 9 to 5 was a really good example. Jamie and Caitlin in the Bechdel cast, they love these movies and they point out all the good things and then they just point out all the also bad things and it is really important to talk about representation in media in films that's why i like to do the conscious content consumption i think that's honestly why i wanted to do a conscious content consumption in all my podcasts because of them because it was like oh yeah the way i thought about life was really tailored by the movies i used to watch some of the movies that i hated growing up charlie's angels and austin powers they made me feel so terrible and listening to the bechdel cast episodes on those movies made me feel so much better about my life yeah validated all my feelings of feminism that i didn't understand as a kid because i was just like i think sexism is a thing but i don't have the words to explain this so.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, does anyone else think about this? Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: and
1: yep. now, now that we're all so connected, it's like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> There's back show. We can yeah.
0: have lots of conversations yeah, yeah. about this, but people yeah. don't know. And I think it's important that people know. And they do all movies. They've done a ton of Disney movies. They've done horror movies. I haven't listened to those because I don't watch horror movies And I know that now they're trying to up their game to do more obscure movies and not just movies with main actors and directors and everything Uh, that's white, heterocentric, not just the popular ones. Yeah,
1: everyone that dominates the industry.
0: Yeah. But it's really fun. I would go in and listen to every single episode of every
1: movie you've watched. Yeah, it's interesting listening to the ones... I mean, I've only listened to the ones of the movies I've actually seen, which... Are few. I'm surprised. It's not a lot, yeah. I guess I'm just not a much of a movie person. But uh,
0: Did you listen to the Lord of the Rings once? Have you seen Lord of the Rings? I have.
1: I don't remember. There's actually Lord of the Rings only
0: one. one episode.
1: Okay, maybe I did. Was it live, maybe?
0: It might have been live.
1: A, yeah, I think there was a live one, maybe.
0: Either way, spoiler alert. Lord of the Rings does not pass the Bechdel yeah. test. Yeah, totally. Of all the twelve hours of <laughs> yeah, film, yeah. there's no point at which like... one female talks to yeah. another female besides two towers. This mm-hmm. one girl's like, "Mama, I'm scared" yeah, or something yeah. like that, and she's From like, "Go!" Yeah, but they don't have names. No, yeah. yeah. So
1: And then, yeah, I say, well, there's only like three women in yeah. the movie that like it's... have names, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, Tolkien wasn't uh, wasn't, wasn't oh. widely known for being able to write women. <laughs> oh,
0: and how cool would it be to have a world like a Lord of the Rings world where gender and queerness was just super integrated to the oh, point yeah. where it was just the norm. Because you could do that. It's a fantasy yeah. world. So if anybody needs an idea, there you go. Yeah. I just gave yeah. you one. Listen to the Bechdel cast. It's my favorite. It's one of Molly's favorites, and that's what's most important here. So let's dive into our topic for today. Bees, hives, and home brewing. AJ, do you want to just talk about what you're doing with all of that right now? How you're involved in those things?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So yeah, so I've been uh, just kind of hobbyist beekeeping for, I don't know, this is probably like my fourth or fifth season. Okay. Um, And I kind of started... I'd always kind of been interested in it, but I didn't really know much about it. I was just like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, this is how they get their honey and stuff. But uh, since working at Roots, you know, the farm school, uh, we have hives there. And I just kind of noticed them one day, and I was talking to our former boss, uh, Tyler, and I was like, yeah, it'd be really interesting to just kind of have them one day. And then this was at, like, kind of the end of the school year. You know, we're talking like April or May or something.
0: And again, Um, this is a Roots Charter High School. It's The coolest high school there is in the Salt Lake Valley, maybe Utah, maybe the nation. Who knows? Super cool school. And there is a farm. There's sheep, goats, pigs, donkeys, (laughs) vegetables, chickens, turkeys, alpaca, one llama. (laughs) One llama that kind of scares me. And then bees, also bees. bees. So because of... AJ I assume or was that, no, did you so initiate Tyler
1: that? started him he actually oh, okay. has hives at home as well so.
0: oh okay yeah
1: so he kind of has that there um, and that's actually seeing them there I was like oh well that's kind of maybe a way to get my foot in the door yeah. you know in a couple of years or so a month later, Tyler sends me a picture of a nuke, which is basically just like a little box that has a couple frames in there. Did you say a nuke? Yes, so it's short for a nucleus colony. Oh, okay. And so what that is, it's not a full hive, but it's about five frames that has, you know, eggs and stuff, and it has a bunch of bees and a queen inside. And tell inside.
0: me what a frame is. Is it just like that
1: mm-hmm. so panel? It's, yeah, so it's a wooden frame that has the honeycomb on it. You can get them either foundationless or with foundation, so if it's a foundationless, it's just a, a wooden frame um and then there's a foundation that actually has them like kind of the the starting already of like those little hexagon cells
0: and is that starting uh man-made yes so okay. it's,
1: it's a uh, yeah it's like a wax coated or plastic okay. foundation kind of
0: basically it's options. like hey bees start here exactly <laughs> so
1: it kind of lets them yeah helps them create a little more uniformly and so then they build wax on top of that Okay. And each one of those cells, you know, that can be used to store eggs and larva, honey, pollen, um, everything they need to keep the hive going. Cool. Um, And so that's kind of, those are your options when you first start a hive. You can buy a package, which is literally just like... 10,000 bees in a box. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> which is
0: crazy yeah, to think yeah. about, and I wonder how sustainable that yeah. is, but we can get into that in a minute. Yeah.
1: So there's that, and then there's the nukes, which uh, kind of has, you know, an already established hive. There's already a laying queen in there. They already have stored honey and eggs, and it's basically a miniature colony that you then just transfer into one of your actual hive boxes.
0: Okay, and so, then they become not a miniature colony, Yeah. and, then and the experience. queen has lots of babies.
1: Yep, yep. She lays, they say that she lays between 1,000 2,000 eggs a day. Whoa. So that's like, that's her job. She's just...
0: But do they all come to fruition? Do they all mature into bees?
1: If things go well, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So she, what she'll do is she'll lay an egg, and then that'll hatch into a larva, and then the like the nurse bees that are kind of hanging out there will feed the larva uh, for a couple days. It grows, and then they will put a capping over it where it kind of goes into that pupa stage, and then it will become a fully developed adult bee, and it will chew through the cappings. She comes out and... And when you say capping,
0: going. is that... I'm imagining the hive and those little hive holes, nice. <laughs> I guess. Yep. And so lays an egg in there, caps it with wax.
1: And, yeah, I, I don't know if it's wax or some kind of material. It's okay. kind of waxy, though, but uh, okay. I've never... Tried
0: Wax-like. Like it. like, yeah, <laughs>
1: see what it is. Um, but, yeah, so then it'll develop into a full-grown bee, and it chews through that, and pops out, and then she goes to work, and then... or. He, yeah, I guess, the drones don't really work very much, though. But uh, yeah, and so then they'll clean out that hole and they start again.
0: Okay, yeah. really quick. You said drones, mm-hmm. and she goes to work, mm-hmm. and that's because if I'm correct mm-hmm. in remembering this, all worker bees, bees, bees that we see outside of the hive are female. They are. Yes. And then the drones are the males, and they just mate with the queen.
1: More or less, yes. Yeah, so the queen actually. Has the option to every time she lays an egg, she can decide if she wants it to be a fertilized egg or an unfertilized egg. The oh. fertilized eggs will always become females. The unfertilized ones will always become drones.
0: Whoa, that's a trip.
1: Yeah, yeah. So wow,
0: what a power yeah, to have! Yeah, it's, it's like, cool. mm, yeah. how many women do yeah. I want to have? Yeah,
1: exactly. So when you have a hive with a decent amount of drones, that's usually a pretty good sign that yeah, you've got a pretty well. Yeah, good hive. But if you have a lot of drones, that could be a sign that you don't have a queen. Because after a while, if she, oh. let's say she dies, her pheromones go away. The other worker bees can actually lay eggs. But oh. they're all fertilized. So those okay. all just become drones. So if you don't get a new queen in there, you're, your hive's going to So thing. how do you get <laughs> a queen? So you can, either they can make a new one. So if, let's say... They,
0: like, have a whole ceremony and... Kind of, yeah. Dub so them.
1: <laughs> they create what's called a queen cell. And it's basically it's they build out like let's say a normal cell and kind of looks like a little peanut and it kind of hangs off and it'll go in there and so when a larva when when an egg is hatched and you have you know a couple day old larva they feed this stuff called royal jelly and for the first couple days they feed that to every larva but once they want to become a queen they keep feeding it that stuff and it'll (laughs) actually change her biology and she'll become a queen and she goes out. That's
0: so crazy! I didn't know that.
1: All of it is, like, this huge elaborate...
0: I need to, like, watch a documentary (laughs) or something on this. Maybe one day if I made jam or jelly, Mm -hmm. I'd have to call it royal Royal jelly Jelly. and then have little bees on it and use honey to sweeten it.
1: That's perfect. I've heard some health stores actually, like, sell it, and I guess some people, like, eat it like... Huh. I don't know if it's any good but uh, yeah, I, guess there's a I doubt
0: it. it will change our biology uh, but no. if it made you more of a queen then <laughs> I don't know I'll just call it my jelly yeah. royal yeah. jelly so that's how it starts and that's what Tyler Bastion the principal yes. our boss at Roots Charter High School he was like hey I have yeah. this starter kit
1: yeah he, yeah he took a picture of this he's like you want some bees and I was like okay well, I was really planning for like at least another year or two, but, uh, sure so I texted my mom I was like hey can I keep some bees in your yard and nice. she was like and she was all for it
0: go mom yeah so uh,
1: kind of made a little area you know there's there's certain like you know ordinance and stuff you kind of got to follow for backyard beekeeping like uh,
0: environmental requirements for them
1: kind of yeah a lot of it's more coexisting with your neighbors um,
0: oh ordinances like zoning yeah, ordinances yeah, exactly. in Salt Lake City okay. yeah
1: so in Salt Lake County, if uh, your hives are less than 15 feet from a property line, there needs to be a six-foot high solid fence because the idea is that the least, you know, path of least resistance. So if they go up, they're not smacking into kids' faces, you know. Yeah. Where my parents are, it's a little more rural. You know, they're what you know 20 miles out, and so it's a little more farmland. So it's not a huge deal. But I basically just found some free fencing on ksl like just <laughs> scoured around and made and build this a fence. crappy fence yeah nice <laughs> and, uh, so uh and your
0: so, mom was cool with that yeah. she's like yeah ugly fence put it yeah, on yeah, up we got exactly. bees now <laughs>
1: yeah so so yeah they're kind of encased in a little apiary area um
0: abiary
1: and apiary
0: yeah
1: ap area so, yeah, yeah ap yeah so that's just a bee yard basically
0: cool yeah. Uh, I didn't know that word.
1: Yeah, so, Apiary. Uh, and yeah, so I kind of started that. I took... Uh, some people buy like hive stands that you put on. I actually took just those giant wooden spools that they use for like yeah. wiring. Because I was like, well, that's a great idea. you mm-hmm. know? Just so put I just, it
0: on there. Just, I
1: mean, yep, put them on there. So, uh, I just started with the one hive that I got from them. That first year, uh, I did everything wrong. And anything <laughs> that could go bad, did. And they eventually actually, around October, they got... They uh, died? Yes, they were... Attacked in. I did not act fast enough. So what will happen sometimes is the wasp's opportunist to find we'll it move in. and they'll come and attack them. And basically, from what I understand, they killed a lot of them because there was a lot of dead ones at the bottom, and I think the rest left.
0: How do they go in and kill them? Do they? Bite them mm-hmm. or sting them. Yeah, they, they them. sting
1: them. They'll bite they, their heads like, off. like
0: attack and, them. Oh yeah, god, yeah, so. wasps are so they're, mean.
1: They're evil. Yeah, after that, I learned to uh, be more proactive in my wasp trapping and uh, Got it. kind of set up some traps. You know, did some things there. Can
0: you set up wasp traps that don't get bees?
1: You can't 100% do it if you're using something kind of sweet. Like, I've used, like, raw chicken and apple juice. But you can deter them a little bit. That sounds
0: so gross. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Um,
1: But the wasps love it. So, uh, but you can actually... Bees don't like vinegar, but that seems to attract wasps. So I will actually spray vinegar on the entrances. And that keeps them down, you know. Okay. But, yeah, so I went from that. And just year after year, I've been...
0: Learning learning how to do it better.
1: And now I have, you know, you have... A pretty good season and then this hurdle that you have to get over is getting them through the winter. Yeah. Fine. Um, and most of the time, you know, if you leave them enough honey, they'll be okay and as long as you've done mite uh, treatments, there's a, okay. a mite that they get that's probably the biggest threat.
0: I've heard of the mites.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you can get them through the winter, then you can start them fresh and usually by around March, uh, April. Um, They're big enough that you can actually split that hive. That's
0: what I was going to ask. Yeah, and that's how you get more and more hives.
1: Yeah, and save some money. So
0: So how many hives do you have right now?
1: I currently have two.
0: One at Roots and then one in your mom's backyard
1: still? Two at my mom's backyard. Oh. We currently have five or six hives at Roots. Cool. Um,
0: Do they need to be a certain distance apart from each other? Or can they all be next to each other? I mean...
1: The ones that roots are, like, less than a foot from each other. You probably want them a little farther out just because robbing is a thing sometimes if a strong hive can spy the weak hive, they'll, like, try to steal their honey. Um, That hasn't been much of an issue from what I've noticed at those hives, but mine... I have space for about four at my mom's house, and basically just four schools and yeah. four there. And that was my plan this year. I got really late in uh, getting new bees for this year, so I only had two. You couldn't um,
0: split your current hives? No,
1: I couldn't. Yeah, okay. it was so small when I opened it up. It was they were alive but barely, and so they needed help just to get back to their normal. So
0: members. you just close it and the, for the winter, and then at some point in the spring, yeah. April, you open it up and you're like, I hope there's bees yeah, in here. Yeah.
1: So on particularly warm days, if it gets above. Fifty degrees you'll see them flying out they'll be like oh, okay. cleansing flights where they like poop and stuff because they don't poop inside the hive yeah um and could just kind of do some housekeeping so that's usually good you can see you'll you'll usually see a lot of dead bees
0: okay on the
1: thing because they also have to haul the dead yeah. bees out of there and so that's usually a good sign that they're still going if you can see that but sometimes if it's really cold that whole winter yeah you just gotta yeah. hope that uh, it's there i mean and before it's warm enough to really open it you'll see them flying around so if it's like a warm day and you don't see anything
0: that's a good sign no well i guess the warmer temperatures here in salt lake city is maybe a good thing for the bees but i'm sure the heat in the summer is not
1: yeah yeah i opened them once that when we had that heat wave and like the 100 degree heat and they were not happy oh man yeah Yeah. yeah
0: okay you said you did everything wrong that first year. Do you have some tips for people if they did start their own bees?
1: Get two hives if you're going to start. 90%. I mean, that's just a number I'm pulling out of my ass. But uh, <laughs> a, a lot of my problems that first year could have easily been solved if I had a second hive. Because you can borrow resources. Let's say this hive's a little low on bees. You can actually...
0: Move Transfer the bees. Some bees over. And they'll participate with the queen?
1: hmm Yeah. So they will get, their, they get a little jumpy at first because they have those queen pheromones on yeah. them from the old hive, but they tend to assimilate a little bit once you get in there.
0: Wow. Um, they're easy to manipulate. Yeah. Now,
1: now, you can actually, if you have a really weak hive, you can actually take a box from a stronger hive, make sure the queen's not in that box that you're taking. Yeah. And then if you lay, like, some newspaper in between them, by the time they eat through that newspaper, they'll have... Grown accustomed to each other's huh. scent, and then they won't.
0: Wow, that's really you cool. You throw that
1: on there; they're going to be fighting. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, you can do that. You can you know take if you need more. Let's say you you've been queenless for a while and you have no eggs. Yeah, you can transfer some eggs over to kind of get them started if they need to build their own queen or just to get more workers as you go buy a new queen. Yeah. Or if you need more honey, you can transfer that over. So definitely start with two hives. Um, It's a little bit more up front, but being able to have double the resources, I think, will multiply both hives' chances of success. Um, Don't start in July like I did (laughs) because (laughs) there's not enough time to build up. Do you Um, start
0: in early spring then?
1: Yeah. So most hives, most bees, if you're buying them, they're usually available about March, April. It depends what you're buying. If you're buying a package, you can get them a lot earlier.
0: And so um, a package is what you said. Like it comes with the boxes and the pre-made little cone thing. So that's
1: the new, yeah. So that, that comes okay. with an established hive. Yep. The package is just like three pounds of bees and then a queen inside a little cage um, that's been introduced a couple days before.
0: Living bees mm-hmm. arrive in a in, box?
1: In a ventilated box. like So it has like a screen on it. I've oh heard my people pick them up from the post office. <laughs> they just hand you a box of bees
0: that is uh, so crazy yeah. so
1: you can get them at like IFA and you know other places IFA uh, is a great store so yeah so that's the definitely the cheap option I think paying the extra for the Nuke is worth it because you get them like a two month head start because yeah. if you're buying just a package of bees then you gotta build out that comb it takes a lot of food to get that wax going
0: yeah so a lot of resources
1: a, yeah lay. okay
0: so you can buy a box mm-hmm. and you can buy a Nuke mm-hmm. online sounds yeah, like yeah. or at IFA yeah. get to start in March April.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep definitely start yeah I would start just at the beginning of the season like everyone else does that's kind of the general thing that yeah. was I started in July because that's when they became available <laughs> me. and I was like oh okay um, I was like alright well let's just jump into this and uh, so yeah so they were just really weak going in you know because they started late they started small I think I lost my original queen Um, I didn't know what I was supposed to be looking for, right? You look for eggs to make sure the queen's been there within the last couple days. They're very hard to see. They're, like, smaller than a grain of rice. So...
0: The eggs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was like, so, I
1: thought the queen was huge. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. She's a lot bigger. So I didn't know really what I was looking for. I was kind of just looking at the frames to look at the frames. And so a month had passed and I was like, I don't think I have a queen because they weren't growing in any numbers at all. Yeah. So so I bought a queen, put her in there. You, The idea, the, the reason why we have that cage is because it helps the bees get accustomed to her scent. If you just let her out, they couldn't kill her. Um, so I got her. I got a new queen and put her in that cage. The guy that sold it to me was basically like, just take the, there's like a little plugged hole. He was like, take that out. Just put some wax over it and they'll chew through it in a couple days. I don't know if that was the right bet because it looked like she wasn't in there. Oh. And so I'm wondering if they killed her. But then I noticed there were these queen cells. And I was like, wait <laughs> a second. So there were some eggs here. I'm wondering if they let her stay for a little bit laid some eggs, and then killed her, and then used her eggs to raise a new queen. The
0: drama! <laughs> right.
1: So about mid-August, now I finally have a laying queen, things are going pretty well. My hive is still really small, and then and the wasp came around October no, okay. and uh, got him. So, the first mistake there, but, uh, so yeah, probably start with two hives. Get a teacher, I would say.
0: So, kind of moving away from the getting the hive and maintaining it, you say you have two smaller hives, how much honey do you get from that?
1: Depends on a good year.
0: On an average year, what would you say? I, I know it's probably, only been four years, so an average is not the best yeah, representation.
1: I probably average between 40 and 80 pounds per hive.
0: That's nuts. Yeah. And gosh, so AJ, he did give me this one pound of honey, mm-hmm. and it was kind of smaller than your normal water bottle. Yeah. Normal, reusable water bottle. I can't imagine 40 to 80 of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that makes it worth it, mm-hmm. right? yeah. Mm-hmm. And to extract it, I know that there's this weird spinner thing. Mm -hmm. So you'll take out the wooden slab that has the waxy cone on it and the honey. Do you make sure you get all the bees out?
1: Yep. There's a couple ways you can do it. Some (laughs) people will just shake their bees off. Um. Some people Sounds yeah,
0: aggravating. Yeah, yeah. They don't
1: seem to mind. I mean, some might get kind of pissed off about it. But uh, some people, you can brush them off. Some people actually have, like, there's, like, bee vacuums that they use for, like, cash, cash swarms. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that probably makes them mad. Um, what I like to do is I use what's called a triangle escape board. And what you do that, you put that in between the the main hive and then the, hive, the boxes that you want to take off. And the idea is that they can go back down... But it takes a while to figure out how to get back up. Okay. So you just put that on the night before and then... It, it so gets, it's like, basically
0: awesome a way. one direction exactly. sort of thing. They're yeah. all like, oh, we go this way. And then they're like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> How do we go back?
1: Yeah. So in in like 24 hours, they'll figure it out. But, okay. uh, you know, it gives you enough time to yeah. get it off.
0: So then you take that out and then you put it in some sort of mm-hmm. spinning device and you spin yep. it and then all the honey comes to the edge.
1: Yep. But first you need to uncap it because you know honey is honey and not just nectar once they've capped it with wax
0: oh Um, once it reaches
1: a certain below a certain moisture content you know it has now been cured so they cap
0: it with wax yeah okay so you have to poke all the holes
1: yep so what i do i take a i have my mom has a really long serrated knife and i will just
0: oh slice slice. and it's 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 comes
1: off pretty easily so it's okay a pain. That um, makes
0: sense to just cut it off instead of poking a thousand holes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and there are like little scrapers that you can do that, but that does take a while. Yeah, um, some people. Because I'm just...
0: sure you lose a tiny bit of honey. Yeah. cutting it off. Yeah, but you will. Yeah. You could probably just eat it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can <laughs> eat like it. But you actually, I like to save the wax cappings because then you melt down turn it into beeswax.
0: Do you do anything with your beeswax?
1: I actually have not made much of it. I have a lot saved, but I have not...
0: Can uh, you make candles with it? You, yeah. Is that yeah. a whole process, or can you just melt it into yeah. a shape and put a wick in it?
1: Yeah, I would say, yeah.
0: Oh, I, my gosh. We should just, do that sometime. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So you could, yeah, you can melt it down. I guess you could, some people do, that. they take the wick and they just keep re-dipping it over and over. Yeah. But you could probably find a mold.
0: Too. Yeah, I would do the mold. I don't yeah. want to do any dipping. That yeah. sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah, I don't see why not. Huh. Yeah,
0: that's cool. cool.
1: So, you can reuse that, but it's really nice. I will actually put those cappings into like a cheesecloth, then I just hang it over the Oh, the
0: nice. For a while and, and then the all the. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then you leave the cone part mm-hmm. that's already made, the structure, and you give it back exactly. to them. And that's they're like, oh, shit, it's empty. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: And so, yeah. Let's so fill it back clean up. It up. Yeah, they'll clean up all the leftover honey residue and they'll. All girl. right. Again, I will also cut a couple. So I do have a couple of foundationless honey frames that I will cut out and sell Yeah. home honey because people really like that. So. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: that's pretty um, cool. I know I've bought... Or at least I've seen honey at the farmers market where a part of the cone is in the jar, yeah, yeah, and it looks really yeah. pretty. And one time I did chew a bite of it, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, it's it's I don't want to eat it." Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't swallow
0: that. <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. you have your two hives, and then the hives at Roots, and I'm sure you take the honey from those as well, because I don't know what the school's doing with it.
1: So we've actually never had a hive at the at Roots made. that was fruit. successful. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Oh, that's so sad. Uh,
1: and a lot of that, I think, it was just too much for it was mostly just Tyler, and I think, yeah. with all his other responsibilities, he gonna do it. also the the horses next door, so the the radio oh. station, I guess they were using some kind of mosquito killer in oh. the, in their water troughs. And so one summer, the last summer, uh, yeah, that I was makes talking sense. was like, yeah, some some nights I'll come out here and there's just bees covered. dead. Me. The whole yeah water thing. So So we we worked something out with them. They're doing so much better this year than they ever have.
0: Okay. Um I can wanna kinda move on to the next part of this. So I said bees, hives, and home brewing. Mm -hmm. So AJ also brews home brews mead. Mm -hmm. And to make mead, you need
1: honey, water, and yeast.
0: Honey, water and yeast. And it sounds like AJ has a lot of honey. So tell me kind of how you got into Making mead is it because of the bees?
1: For the most part, yeah. I uh, I had tried just the hive wineries. You know, they have their that little honey wine. I tried that at a party once a couple of years ago. I was Like, this is really good. <laughs> um, and then I had all this leftover honey. I was like, uh, I had a friend that had done a little bit of home brewing and just wine because he just yeah. had some grapes, you know, in his in his backyard. And I didn't make the wine with him, but I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'll look into that sometime. And so. I grabbed a, a fermenting bucket from him and then I just learned how to. I learned that it was me, not, you know, that's, yeah. that's the actual name for it, I guess.
0: <laughs> honey wine? Is honey that what wine, you call yeah. it?
1: Yeah. So I did that and I was like, well, let's give this a shot. And my roommate Brad was like, all right, I'll, you know, help you out with this. And so we got all the equipment. I took the, the leftover honey that I had from that last season um, and we made just uh, like a two gallon batch, two or three gallon, I can't remember how much. So
0: I know that was hard liquor there's a distilling Mm -hmm. process with mead is there a distilling process
1: nope No. so with meads wines beers there's no no distillation involved it's just fermenting and then
0: kind of like cider because i've i've made a bunch of hard cider
1: and it's pretty much the same yeah so you'll about roughly depending on how alcoholic you want to be you know how much how sweet you want it to be is how much honey that you're going to add and then pick your yeast um, but roughly, it's like three pounds of honey will make a gallon of yeah. meat of decent
0: uh, huh.
1: flavored meat. Um, and so, yeah, you basically do that. I just took, I don't know how much honey we had, but I threw that in there, um, stirred it up. I actually have just a, like a paint stirring drill attachment. Just stir
0: that up. <laughs> uh, throw the That's yeast That's so in, funny. And then, yeah, then
1: you just wait Two weeks? Two um, weeks? Yeah, two weeks to ferment, and then... Oh, okay. Um,
0: then do you re-rack it? Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yeah, so then I rack it out of the fermenting bucket, get it off of, you know, the, the leftover yeast.
0: Yeah, that the, kind of falls yeah. to the bottom.
1: Exactly. Throw it in one of those glass carboys, and then a lot of people will age that for a year or more. Okay. Um,
0: and you don't need the glass carboys. You can do the food-safe five-gallon buckets, yeah? Or- uh,
1: I mean, I don't see why not. I know the big thing is, like, oxidation, you know, having... Air
0: yeah. Through, so well, with the why. lids, they I <laughs> there's bungs that mm. you can put into the glass carboys. If nobody mm. knows what a glass carboy is, it's basically this five gallon glass container that comes to a very skinny neck at yeah. the top, and then a bung, which is a hilarious word I think, is a plug that you put in at the top, and it's rubber, and then you put in an airlock mm. into that bung, and the airlock has water in it, so air can escape through the top when the fermentation process happens, so when yeast bubbles up, air can escape, but... Bugs who might be attracted to the smell of, in my case, like I make a lot of cider, they're like, ooh, apple juice, ooh, something (laughs) sweet, oh, honey for AJ's mead. Um, The bugs can't go in, they'll get to the water, and then they can't figure out how to get through this airlock. And I know that there are buckets. (laughs) I only mention it because I'm so overusing carboys (laughs) because they're so hard to clean.
1: Well, have you seen the the PET ones now? No. Yeah, so they have PET carboys that have a wider neck, okay, um, like a size 14. Bunk. So
0: you can like put your hand in it and actually clean it.
1: Yeah, a little easier. Yeah, if you have okay. small hands, it's still <laughs> kind of small. But I have seen also much larger ones. I think I can't remember what they call them, hmm. but uh, yeah, I think that's where people are starting to go now because it's just as
0: yeah, uh, just as effective. Yeah,
1: as glass and.
0: Yeah. less dangerous. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And the glass ones are so heavy. Yeah. So let's see, I was going to ask another question. So you re-rack it, mm-hmm. which basically means you put it from one container into another mm-hmm. container so that all the leftover yeast and all the like sediment and heavy stuff that you don't want has fallen to the bottom and you leave that mm-hmm. in the old container and in the new container, mm-hmm. it's nice and clean. Mm-hmm. And is that only a two week process as well?
1: Well, then, at that point, it's how much you want to age the. For mead, and I'm assuming it's the same for wine as well, but for mead especially, the kind of the general rule is you don't bottle it until it's clear, and that can oh. take a year or more. Of
0: yeah, because you've rapids. given me mead and it was not clear. Yeah.
1: Exactly, yeah. So does
0: that mean it's less fermented and therefore less alcoholic?
1: No, no, it's just, you just have sediment in the bottom. Okay. And it's, which is not a big deal. You yeah. Know? But some people like the, uh, you know, how it looks when it's totally clear.
0: Yeah, that would be cool. I'd yeah. be interested in taste testing the difference yeah. and seeing cool.
1: it. Yeah, and then like wine, it kind of refines and ages in the bottle. Yeah. And, you know, things keep going.
0: Can mead refine in the bottle?
1: That's what they say, yeah. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, interesting. I, I've not had a bottle age long Yeah. <laughs> before, yeah. but uh, I it. <laughs> Actually, Brad and I bottled we got a, we got a special blue bottle to be opened 10 years from our oh, first Oh, nice. So I love we'll that. See, we'll see how that is I love if that. we make it that far. Um, and
0: you cork it because mm-hmm. you don't carbonate it yeah. in any way. So, if for folks at home, if you do carbonate homemade alcohol, and you put it into a bottle that you cork, the carbonation is going to push the cork out, and then mm. you're going to lose it. So that's why you need caps or, or those Grolsch bottles yeah, with the, the flip tops. tops. And They're I love great. those. I have a bunch of those for my cider. But, yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So that's AJ's process from bees to mead. Yeah, and I've had some of the mead. I've had some of the honey. I like it a lot. Um, I think it's a great thing to do as a hobby. Also, because tying in the environmental part of all this, making your own stuff is better for so many reasons. The main one being you don't have those transportation costs. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if you buy honey at the store, you don't know where that came from and it's been shipped. Probably... Plastic, maybe a plastic bear, um, which I do think are cute, but also it's so frustrating Mm -hmm. to get honey out of those goddamn bears. Why Why is that a good idea? It should be a container that you can scrape out. Yeah. Yeah, so reducing the transportation costs of both Mm -hmm. your alcohol and your honey, and if you aren't a hobbyist to do that, you can buy these things locally. You can buy at least honey locally, especially in Salt Lake. If you go to any of the Uh, farmers markets, it's everywhere. I'm sure your neighbors might have some (laughs) if you ask around enough. Unfortunately, I don't know what the laws are around selling homemade alcohol. But I bet in Utah, they're very strict. In the U.S.,
1: no, no way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. uh,
0: But there are some local breweries around here for all types of alcohol. I will say that the wine game in Utah isn't that great. There's something creek, snake creek...
1: Yeah, there's know, Castle Creek. Castle Creek yeah. yeah, I have a Merlot that's at my house from them. I haven't tried it yet, but
0: I will say I got two bottles with rotten corks from oh, Castle Creek, a cork t- and I <laughs> sent in the corks, and then they um, they didn't send me any alcohol because you can't do that right, in right, Utah. Yeah, you can ship you it, can't yeah. ship alcohol, but they did <laughs> give me like a little receipt thing so that i could buy it when i went there but yeah not a lot of wine in utah but there are ciders there's mountain west cider and mountain west cider they do a collaboration with green urban lunchbox and that's an organization i've worked for in the past and part of what green urban lunchbox does is they go and they pick fruit from trees in the neighborhood so residents with fruit trees will sign up and be like hey come pick my tree it's ready and then one staff member from green urban lunchbox and this was my position for a summer one paid person goes and then a bunch of volunteers show up and a third can go to the homeowner a third to the volunteers and a third to hunger relief programs which is so okay. cool green urban lunchbox rocks they do that with all sorts of fruits, but then apple season, it's the last fruit, yeah. the end of the season, and there's different grades of apples. So you have A, which is the beautiful ones that they want to sell at the store that you, that people want to eat, and there's B grade, and they have, you know, maybe some bug holes, maybe some bruises, maybe a tiny bit of rotting on them, but they don't look that good. And then there's C, which is for Compost or chickens, sure. they're just bad apples. <laughs> but the B grade ones, you can cut out all the bad spots, whether that's bruises or bird bites or whatever, and then use that to make cider. And they do that in collaboration with Mountain West Cider. So they'll bring all their apples. And I was part of this process one year. So we were crushing the apples. So you have to crush them first into this goop and then press them. And then you get the juice. And then Mountain West took all the juice into one of their big troughs and awesome. ferment it and do that whole process. By doing that with them, that's what ignited me to make cider and cool. because I was paid to pick all the fruit and then there was all these leftover apples that were going to go to waste anyways and they had the equipment to press and to grind and do all that so I found a bunch of carboys and I made 80 gallons <laughs> of cider <laughs> one year so awesome. I dedicated so much time to <laughs> it that's why I hate carboys now cuz yeah, I've dealt with yeah, so many cool carboys like oh my here. gosh but yeah, so that's a great place to get local cider because you get apples from residence trees. But honestly, I like their other flavors. Um, they have I was the saying, specific, they have more than yeah. yeah, they have the Green Urban Lunchbox cider. It's all ciders, oh. but then they have a prickly pear one, a dry one, a few other ones. I really like Mountain West, they're great. And I have a hard time with some cider places, ciderias, mm-hmm. because it can be so sweet. Right. When people think of hard cider, I think folks often first come up with uh, Angry Orchard, which is horrible. Oh, it's so gross. Uh, Maybe if you're 17, even then, it just coats your teeth. It's so gross. Mm -hmm. But so that's an example of like local cider. And then, of course, we have gin, there's vodka, I think we have Beehive Distillery, New World Distillery, Sugar House Distillery. Salt Lake City Distillery or Salt Lake
1: Salt something Salt City
0: Salt City Distillery mm, something
1: like
0: that. I think it's Salt yeah. City. There's a bunch of them and they're pretty good. Five Wives and they do the Five Husbands <laughs> for June fuck? Pride Month, which is awesome. Though this month I have issue with the logo <laughs> a little bit, but I won't get into that. <laughs> One day, I hope that five wives makes a five spouses, yeah. because they'll be even more woke. So that part of buying local, one, uh, the shipping is way less. Two, you're supporting smaller businesses um, that are more handcrafted, and they're also not so small. I imagine, AJ, your production of mead is similar to my production mm-hmm. insider of like, well let's just see how this turns out because you don't have an actual scientific structure that you follow necessarily.
1: Yeah, no, I've written down my process and the recipes just in case there's something that turns out really good and I want to recreate it. Oh,
0: see, that's uh, better than me. (laughs) That's much better than me. And then, also, one other thing I wanted to bring up that I talked to AJ about right before this podcast is I read an article from the New York Times that talked about um, different ways that wineries are trying to become more sustainable. Specifically, there's an article in the New York Times that they address how glass bottles are the least sustainable part of the wine making business and wine selling because when you have to ship, let's say, bottles, hundreds, thousands of bottles of wine from Sicily to Salt Lake City (laughs) or wherever they're sending their wine, the glass is the heaviest part, and so you need more fuel to actually send it. And so there's this article in the New York Times called... This is the, the title. The message in a reusable wine bottle. Combat climate change. Glass bottles are the largest source of wine indus- of the wine industry's carbon footprint. Several companies are experimenting with new shipping methods. And one of those methods is from what I read earlier, and if I'm remembering this correctly, I might not be. They're sending wine in these giant crates, kind of these big plastic containers, so not in individualized glass bottles. So they're sending that, let's say, to Utah, probably not to Utah, some other city that would distribute this. And then there they have bottles that they'll fill them with. So instead of going from one country to another country in glass, they go from the main the main source to this new country in just a big container Bottle it from there. Then what they're doing is you can bring the bottle back. So reusing that bottle. It seems that there is one company, the Gotham Project, that's really trying to make steps in the sustainable direction, a wine company. I'm going to read a quote from this New York Times article real quick. Gotham Project is one of a few companies experimenting with selling wine in returnable bottles. It turns out some of the best solutions may be old methods of shipping and packaging, long ago discarded, like bottles that can be returned, sanitized, and reused ten times or more. So I think that's a really good step. I wish every wine company was doing that, reusing bottles or making them returnable. I mean, I wish everybody was doing that, beer, wine, Mayo. I don't know why that was the first example that came up after booze. Um, But it'd be great if we just had reusable containers.
1: It doesn't seem like it'd be that hard to just ship them back, have some kind of incentive to, you know... Yeah,
0: and especially if you're buying them directly from a place, there's a little bit more of an incentive to go Mm -hmm. into the store and support folks locally and directly. I was wondering... What do you use for your bottles? Do you reuse bottles yeah. or do you buy ones? Yeah, so
1: I I'll buy when I'm bottling like the wines and mead and stuff. I will buy just like the seven fifty milliliter Bordeaux bottles from uh beer okay. nut, just a local home brewing shop yeah. here in Salt Lake. And then yeah, and I reuse them as much as I can. I have people when I give them to people, I'd be like, hey.
0: Give it back. It back kind
1: of, <laughs> I'll even come get it if I need to. Uh, just because, yeah, I mean, they're one, they're expensive, but it's like, I can keep using these. And it's nice to just have them on hand whenever you need to. It's like, so you don't have to, like, prep, you know. Yeah. But then I've got a bunch of uh, just, like, those amber bottles and flip-top bottles. A lot of my brewing equipment I just got on KSL. Yeah. It was yeah. from people that That's awesome. weren't brewing anymore. And so... I went originally just to get some Carboys from this guy, like, two of them, and then he gave me... He's like, here's all all my other shit. Yeah, and so I had all these bottles ready to go, and, like, really nice, like, very large, like, those those bottles and...
0: For my bottling endeavors, um, I did have somebody who no longer drinks, and so gave me carboys and bottles and caps and a capper. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) this is awesome. But um, I figured out, because somebody else is doing it, Mm -hmm. they were just using old wine bottles. Mm -hmm. So they would drink a bottle of wine, and then instead of going and recycling them, they would just clean them and sanitize them, which does take a little bit of extra work. But it's like, well, then you don't have to buy them. And then uh, if you have enough people to come help you, you know, you can have people cleaning, sanitizing. Someone was taking off the labels. Mm -hmm. So you have like this clean bottle. The only problem with that is most of the wines that my family my friends and i drink is red wine and so the bottles aren't cleared right. i kind of like the clear bottles yeah. but another thing i did was going to the di or savers or thrift shops if you guys aren't familiar with those two stores <laughs> they're thrift shops i think right yeah. yeah thrift shops thrift stores yeah thrift stores and i bought those reusable grolsch bottles the flip tops so, I know, and just, that's a great idea. Yeah, sometimes they do. You yeah. can go in and buy them for like 25 cents, and mm-hmm. one day I went in and I bought seven, seven yeah. of them, and it was like, yes, yeah. and other days it's like, well, there's one and it's small, yeah, yeah. but it's worth it.
1: Yeah. So. Like the 7-Eleven just up the street here sells pilsners in those Grosch bottles. And oh, just took yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know um, 350, 360 vodka, mm-hmm. they sell them in Grosch tops. So if you like vodka and you don't care the quality, mm-hmm. actually, I don't know if 360 is good or bad <laughs> vodka. No, but it's
1: all subjective. <laughs> yeah,
0: you can buy containers that you do want to use, which I think is really great. And again, I just have the wine bottles as long as I'm not making it carbonated, because, again, that'll push out the cork. Uh, The one last thing I wanted you to touch on was the ecological benefits of having bees in and around your property, in your garden. Oh, yeah.
1: that I think that is uh, kind of the big debate, actually, with uh, beekeeping right now. You know, we always always hear save the bees, you know, and everybody kind of has this idea that it's honeybees, and really those aren't the ones that need help. I mean, there's almost a thousand different, like, native bee species yeah. in Utah alone. and
0: I just learned that recently. Yeah. So I was like, oh, wow, I thought there was maybe 10. Yeah, <laughs>
1: so much, yeah. Um, and those are actually the ones that are really struggling because of, like, habitat loss. And in a lot of ways, commercial beekeeping is could be doing more harm than good.
0: Because it's pushing out those mm-hmm. uh, native yeah. endemic species.
1: Yeah. yeah, and they outcompete them just because... Their numbers. Yeah. Um. A lot of it is because commercially, if you're if you're trying to make money in beekeeping, you're not going to do it selling honey. Um, most people will either do it, will sell the actual bees, so they just kind of breed them. Um, but a lot of the money comes from crop pollination. And so they'll ship bees yeah. to California to pollinate the almonds. And stuff. I've
0: heard, yeah, I've heard of the almond thing. Basically, people putting bees into boxes, yeah. into yeah. trucks, and the then truck. they yeah. the stress of it kills most of the bees. Mm. And then they arrive there, mm. and they're only yeah. getting pollen from one type of plant, yeah. and yeah. so on, and so forth. But they are still mass producing those specific yeah. type of bees. Yes. So I guess I hadn't uh, thought about. Those bees—is there? Do you know the name of those bees the species?
1: Uh, no, I would. I mean, bumblebees, obviously, um, yeah, <laughs> are a good one that are definitely struggling. But there's there's so many of them, like orchid bees and yeah, other things. Um, and I mean, and not all. And bees aren't the only pollinators. There's lots of pollinating, yeah. Species, you know,
0: and I think what's most important, what I've learned through my years of gardening is for pollinators it's not just to like have pollinators come and shipped in but it's good to plant flowers in your vegetable garden so that the pollinators can come and they're more attractive and they have more of a habitat so creating the habitat is Mm -hmm. just as important if not more important i think for pollinators
1: oh yeah Um, i would say the number one thing you can do if you want to save the bees is just plant native plants all right yeah um, oh,
0: well, I like that pitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plant Native plants, everybody. Create an
1: environment that promotes life. That's a, you know, yeah. a lot of it. I, I, I've recently, I mean, I've always been this way, but very recently I became very anti-lawn. Um, in oh, the, man. You know, just... Those plants that grow up in your lawn, those those are great. They love those. Yeah. Um,
0: I take care of my lawn and I mowed my lawn the other day and I was like, man, I like this long grass. I'm getting rid of this habitat. Mm -hmm. And when I don't rent, I will not have a lawn. Very cool, yeah. So. Um,
1: yeah. I love the act of mowing a lawn. It does. It's very yeah. It's kind of fun, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, more. I, it's, I think it's okay if you want to have like a little patch of grass. It is nice. I love
0: grass, yeah. You know, but it shouldn't be the only so thing. Yeah. yeah. Just to throw birds in real quick because birds are so great. Um, some birds are pollinators. A lot of birds are pollinators. National Audubon. If you want to look it up, they have all sorts of materials for how to make your yard bird friendly and pollinator friendly and a lot of it is just having diverse vegetation at diverse heights and shrub thickness if that makes sense you want a tall tree so that they can kind of be up there you want shorter shrubs you want some longer grasses you want uh, i mean having um a body of water whether it's just a bucket of water or a bird bath or something flowing though we're in a severe drought so maybe not that but you know having that space so that life can really thrive in your backyard so look that up if you're interested in it. I think that would also be good if you are beekeeping mm-hmm. oh, um, yeah. to kind of have that in your backyard, which uh, in turn would <laughs> make it really wonderful for your mead and a beautiful place for you to sit yeah. and drink your mead. Exactly. So, any last comments from you, AJ? Uh, no,
1: I think that's you know. That's, uh, aptly covered what i've been doing lately (laughs) perfect
0: well thanks everyone for listening thanks aj for coming at the end of all my podcasts i've been saying thank you aj for the intro music so thank you (laughs) intro music done by aj and like my dad says use your head and be clever talk to you next week bye